Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 215, 215. There we go. So I'm recording this in the uh, almost immediate aftermath of the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict that came in uh, last week, and he was found not guilty on all counts. And it was a very predictable reaction. The left was outraged and the right was overjoyed. And it, it is very interesting that you have an incident that was videotaped and in the middle of a crowd of people, in the middle of a riot, and uh, the, the um, reaction to it divides on almost purely partisan lines. You occasionally have someone uh, like a Democrat like Tulsi Gabbard saying something sensible about it, but generally it's going to be, it, it's a, a tribal decision. Our guy is innocent, and the other side says, your guy is guilty. Now, our guy, your guy, whichever one it is, has to be one or the other, right? He has to be guilty or innocent. So consequently, anybody objective who actually sees the actual state of affairs is going to be plausibly accused of just being a partisan or a tribal advocate because he states what the what the situation actually was. Now, if uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself, if it was a clear case of self-defense, as I believe it was, a person might say it was self-defense, not knowing anything about the trial, not viewing any footage, but simply because everyone around him is yelling that it was self-defense, and so he says it was self-defense too. That'd be an instance of someone making a determination according to tribal loyalties and not according to the facts. But, of course, if someone looks at all the facts and weighs them carefully and says, you know, that was self-defense, because there are tribal loyalties operating in this, he can, he can be accused of that. And, the, and, and so, consequently, and we've gotten to the point where virtually any important trial, virtually any important crisis can be instantaneously, almost instantly, politicized in this way. You would think, for example, that a virus would not be a political issue, right? You might expect uh, the people's reaction to divide, to break in an unusual way. But we live in hyper-political times, and so consequently, the reaction is highly political. Now, that being the case, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think we're supposed to look at this, and, and we should look at it in such a way as to— um, this is a radical thought here. We should look at it in a way that enables us to see what's going on. Uh, we don't stare at it. We, we uh, should consider it, weigh it. And the issue here, in my, in my mind, the issue here is the, this is yet another instance of how radically divided our country is, how radically divided everything is. I don't think things have been this inflamed since uh, 1860. And things are a little more murky, a little less defined than they were in 1860, because you had, on the verge of the Civil War, you had a very uh, 
uh, an overwhelming geographical definition. You had a southern culture and you had a northern culture and you had border states in between. Uh, this one is a lot, lot more tangled up, a lot more mixed up, a lot more red staters and blue staters in every state. Blue states have big red sections and red states have big blue sections and there you go. So what this what the Kyle uh, Rittenhouse verdict means is that this was one of the first instances of shooting and killing in uh, what I believe is transitioning from a cold civil war into a hot one. Because what, what happened was uh, you have, it, it wasn't a matter of a local municipal election and everybody dividing according to their political loyalties over a political election, or even a national election like the dispute over uh, whether or not Biden won fair and square. That was a political difference over a political event. In this Rittenhouse thing, we've gotten to the point where conversation and debate settles, it settles nothing. And the shooting has started. It's not large-scale shooting, but the shooting has started. Rioting has started. The violence has started. And the whole thing can be videotaped. And when a large group of people look at that videotape and see two completely opposite things, then that means that unless God intervenes with some signal mercy, it's going to be shooting that settles this. Continuing with the podcast, episode 215, as we continue our study of words for sin in the New Testament, we come to one that represents a great occasion for sin. The word is idolon, which means idol. Now, the fact that an idol is made out of wood or stone or some other inanimate object means that the idol itself is not doing the sinning. The idolater is the one who does that. But the idol is sin, and that is sufficient for being included on this list. We will begin with John's concluding exhortation in his, uh, in his letter we call 1 John. Quote, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. 1 John 5.21. He says this because he knows that Christians would be tempted to not keep themselves from idols. In other words, keeping yourself from an idol is not an automatic thing for Christians. They have to be encouraged to watch out. They have to be uh, exhorted to guard themselves. The Israelites fell into idolatry shortly after their deliverance from Egypt. Quote, and they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol, there it is, and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Acts 7.41 When the Gentile pagans were converted to Christianity, they were called from a world that was saturated with idols and idolatry. This is why the Jerusalem Council included this item as part of their exhortation to the new Gentile converts. Quote, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, there it is, and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood, Acts 15.20. We see the same thing in Thessalonians, quote, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Notice that they're turning from idols to God. It's a radical, stark transition. The system of idolatry was pernicious, but the idols themselves were nothing. And this, this is an important distinction. The idols themselves were nothing, but the system of idolatry, the web of idolatry, was pernicious. Quote, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, 
we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one, 1 Corinthians 8, 4. So notice that Paul says an idol is nothing in the world. And then another one, quote, What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? 1 Corinthians 10, 19. All right, so he's, and the, this is a rhetorical question, the answer to which is no. An idol is nothing, and the thing offered to it is nothing. Quote, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led, 1 Corinthians 12, 2. So, um, uh, Paul has been saying that the idol is nothing, uh, the thing offered to an idol is nothing, and here he says the idols are dumb idols, they can't speak. Here's another one from 1 Corinthians. These are all from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, um, for, Paul, for Paul, the idol is just um, a piece of wood or stone, and the meat that was offered to the idol is just that, is simply um, a piece of meat. Um, the meat's not demon-possessed. Nevertheless, the system of idolatry is a system of devil worship. So the the idols were vanity itself, but the power of idolatry was wicked and strong. So the the um, the system of idolatry was a a network of cultural practices, but the idols were vain. Uh, in Revelation nine twenty, it says this: and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of all the works of their hands that they should not worship devils. Notice that worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So what you have here is the vanity of idolatry uh, identified. These idols are dumb idols. They can't speak, see, walk. They can't do anything. And nevertheless, it's devil worship. So devil worship is the, it's an actual negative thing. It's, it's, a, it's a bad thing. There's potency there. Then, 2 Corinthians 6.16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All right, so God has no fellowship. There, there can be no fellowship between the temple of God and idols. And then, of course, there were the idolaters who pretended to hate idolatry. Uh, in Romans 2.22, Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, Dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhors idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? And in some translations, you who abhor idols, uh, do you rob temples? So, the, so a person who uh, is pretending to abhor idols but is greedy, which Paul in Colossians and Ephesians both tags as being equivalent to idolatry. A man who runs a scam on an idol temple, pretending to abhor idols, but who rips off the uh, treasury of that idolatrous temple is himself an idolater. The book I've selected for uh, this go-round for uh, podcast episode 215 is a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Uh, It's by a gent named Holiday. A gent named Holiday. So, Trust Me, I'm Lying. Now, what this guy uh, is, is a, uh, uh, what do we call him? He is an internet marketer. He was a big wig at American Apparel, and he is—he um, was 
adept at manipulating and managing the making of things going viral on the internet. How to, how to ratchet your way into uh, everybody's uh, consciousness by, by means of everybody talking about you. How to, how to, how to scam the internet system. So what he's doing is he's telling us that he's telling us the tricks of the trade. Now he um, is giving us this in the form of a sort of a testimony. I was uh, in the, in this system up to my neck. I did all these bad things, and then I saw the damage I was doing. And I, it's this is all in very secular terms. So he doesn't use the word repented, but I uh, rejected my previous way of life. But I, but I still know all the tricks of the trade, and so I am uh, telling you the tricks of the trade. So you, you know, forewarned is forearmed, right? So you can you can see when uh, blogs are being managed by someone who is hungry for the spotlight, and uh, ba- basically he talks about how bloggers are not hungry for content; they're ravenous for content. And if you give them a little bit of juicy content, um, it really doesn't matter to them if the juicy content is true or not. They will um, uh, seize on it and put it into play, and all of a sudden, you're internationally famous for having done X, Y, or Z. Uh, The only real uh, defense against this sort of thing is to not care um, what they say and to be in a position to not care. If anybody wants to um, what cultivate a healthy cynicism about what they read online, this would be a good this would be a good book to get. Trust me, I'm lying. Now, I think the received opinion among all users of the internet is everybody winks and nods and and there's a uh, a knowing joke, right? How do you know that's true? Well, I read it on Facebook. Everybody goes, ha, ha, ha. But there are more people accepting the truth of these stories or allegations or scandals or whatever they are. They just gobble them up. And then, of course, everybody pretends to be a knowing individual of the kind of person who would not gobble such things up. So, trust me, I'm lying. Holiday. So I wanted to be sure to get word to you about a sale at Canon that is probably the greatest thing since Paul's second missionary journey. Okay, that's not right. I kind of overstated it a little bit. Many apologies, I'm sure. But here are the details, and let's let you decide. As you might know, Canon publishes a modern edition of the Geneva Bible New Testament, and starting on this coming Monday, they are bundling it together with my book, When the Man Comes Around, a commentary on Revelation, and selling the two together for more than 50% off. The link is here. I've really enjoyed reading through the modernized Geneva, and it comes in a really nice box set. The original version was the work of a team of men in John Knox's congregation in Geneva during the reign of Bloody Mary, and it is really wonderful to see that tradition continuing on. God, God.